0: Good morning. Welcome to everyone, especially visitors. Uh, if you're new here, I'm Andrew, part of the leadership team. And, uh, it's my privilege to speak this morning, um, continuing our series on Christ's values, our values, those values through which God wants to transform us to become more like Christ, both as individuals and as a fellowship. Um, Oh, I got the first one, word-based. Poor Rod often gets a short straw, but I think to today I got the keys to the candy store. There's just so much, the problem's going to be keeping it concise. But I do promise I will finish before midnight. Rest assured of that. So the first value is that we are word-based. Everything we believe, everything we do should be underpinned by, grounded in, inspired by, informed by the word of God. So, to spell this out, we believe in the absolute truthfulness, sufficiency and final authority of scripture. And this value is expressed through the Bible having the central place in governing doctrine, practice, ethos, and patterns of church life. So the Bible is centre to everything we believe, doctrine, everything we do, practice, ethos, everything we think, and the patterns of church life, how it all works out in practice. Now, I'm going to be going all over the place, looking at the Bible this morning. With such a topic, I could hardly do anything else. But we'll start with that really well-known passage, Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work just a couple of things to pick out of that I'm not going to go through the whole thing because there's lots I want to share this morning but first of all all scripture is God breathed and is useful not just the bits we like and the bits that feel comfortable, but the bits that are challenging. And that's why it's so important to to just not read the little verse you have with your Bible notes, but take time to read the whole of Scripture. It, it can be daunting, it can be difficult at times, but reading through the Bible from beginning to end, you get the big picture. And you often find little gem, gems tucked away that you might miss. And the other thing is, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the Word of God, we have the toolkit for everything we need. If you like, it's the user manual for life. Anyone living, doing life? You need the handbook, the Bible. And yeah, we often think, oh, I can't do that, God. Look in the Word. There'll be something to equip you. And very often, it'll be a verse that says, Trust me. I am with you. I will give you strength. Moving on, Paul writes, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And that's why this value is so very important today. Because already we can see in... Parts of the so-called church turning away from biblical truth, or oh, we'll, we'll explain that, or ignore that verse, or it doesn't really mean what it says because we want to be contemporary and relevant and, and not frighten people with the truth. Now we don't want to drive people away or set a barrier. Everyone is welcome. Regardless of gender, race, sexuality, philosophy, everyone is welcome because everyone needs Jesus. But that doesn't mean we say, you come in, you don't need to change, you can believe what you like, we just want you here because we want the numbers. We have to declare the truth as it is in the word. And people are looking for reality. Do they find reality in politics? No. Do they find reality in the media? No. Especially social media. People want truth. And the only place they will find truth is in the Word of God. So it's so important. And in some ways, it's the most important of values because all the others are found in Scripture. And when we have this assurance that we can count on and have the Word of God central, the others flow out of that. But it's, it's interesting, I like, sorry, like. Sorry, going the wrong way. Yep, the word of life, sorry, I've, get, I've lost my thread, I apologise. People will think of us today and say, well, it's an old book. It's written 2,000, 6,000 years ago. What relevance has? It's more than just a book. It is the word of life. And the great thing is that the word of life isn't just a book, it's a person, Jesus Is the word of life. And the book, the Bible, is important because it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God. John writes, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And not only is he the embodiment of the word of God, the word of life, He is the fulfillment. Jesus said, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And uh, talking to the Pharisees, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's all about Jesus. The the word of God is embodied in Christ. And the scriptures are all about Jesus. At the very heart, we have the Gospels that describe the life of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, how he was born in a stable of a virgin, God incarnate, how he spread good news but was crucified, paid the price for our sins, rose again. That's the very heart of the Bible, the Gospel. And everything that comes after it is how that works out. The teachings of the early church, the practice, responding to the Gospel. But everything that comes before is just as important because it points to Jesus. It explains why we need a Saviour. How God is sovereign, mighty, Lord of all, created the earth, For relationship with mankind but man turned his back on God sinned, rebelled and every attempt man makes by his own efforts to reach God fails the law only points to our sin so we need a saviour and the prophets point to the saviour who will come and is fulfilled in Jesus the word of life and Jesus' whole life was about the word of God First and last. First time we see Jesus after his birth was a 12 year old in the temple in Jerusalem. His parents lost him. They didn't know where he was. After three days they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. First thing we find about Jesus, other than as a helpless babe, he's in the temple, studying the scriptures, debating them with the teachers. And then, at the very end of his life, on the cross, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now yes, that is a cry of isolation, reflecting the, the sin that Christ had taken upon himself, separating himself from a holy God. But it's more than that. It's a quote from Psalm 22. He trusts and, and this is an amazing psalm. You've got to read it if you haven't. If you don't know it, read it. It's such a description of the cross. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. That's Psalm 22, verse 7. Exactly what was happening at Golgotha. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Crucifixion. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Exactly what happened at the crucifixion as the soldiers cast lots for his clothing. Psalm 22 is all about the crucifixion. And even on the cross, In quoting that psalm, Jesus is saying, you know the scriptures, look, they're fulfilled this day. My hands are pierced. I'm doing it for you. First and last, Christ's ministry is about the word of God. So, how does that impact us as a church? He said, first of all, it impacts what we believe and what we teach. Jesus taught the scriptures. That's why they're important to us. We've said all along, these are our values because they're Christ's values. And Jesus' is teaching taught his disciples by explaining the scriptures. Right at the beginning of his ministry, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. First sermon, he takes from Isaiah and shows how the prophecy is fulfilled as he brings hope to the the sick, the lame, the prisoner. He's expounding scripture. It's how he operated. And and another one of his sermons, I could pick many, many examples, but I did promise I'd finish by midnight. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He's taking a scripture that they know about and think they understand, don't kill anyone, and explaining that there's much more to it. They need to understand that if they've got hatred, anger in their heart, that's as bad God is a holy God, and he hates all sin. He doesn't have this graded scale where murder's up there, but anger down here, especially if the other person's wound you up and they deserve it. Sin is sin. God, Jesus, would expound the scriptures to help his disciples grow. And on that amazing journey, the two disciples on the Emmaus Road Jesus, beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That must have been an amazing time. Having Jesus himself unlock the Old Testament, showing how much everything pointed to him, how everything was fulfilled in him. And that, again, is why we value the Old Testament. It points to Jesus. And so, as a church, our preaching, our teaching, whether it's on a Sunday or in house group, it must always be in line with the Bible. Uh, last week, introducing this, this topic, James said, for the next nine weeks we're going to be preaching Jesus. Yes, and I hope the nine weeks after that, and the nine weeks after that, because every week we should be preaching Jesus Christ expounding the scripture and focusing just on what the word says and not what the world says or a nice philosophy we must be grounded in scripture as we saw in the reading at the beginning from the second letter to Timothy preach the word and then there's one for all of us be prepared in season and out of season correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We want to make sure that everything we teach aligns with scripture. And there's a warning throughout Paul's letters, uh, for example in Galatians, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's Curse. There is only one truth. Jesus Christ. He alone is the way of salvation. He is the only means of our forgiveness and our reconciliation with God. And if anyone teaches you you can do it your own way or you need to perform these rituals, these rites in order to please God, that's not biblical. Don't believe it. And it is sad to see that there have been in the past Preachers who have started off faithfully preaching the word, but then they've been caught up by the things of the world and have compromised the gospel and preached something that is not biblical. So our teaching must always be based on the truth of the gospel. And again in Galatians, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul could preach with authority the gospel because he'd received it from Jesus. Jesus is the source of all truth, all reality. And if we look anywhere else, we will be disappointed. So our teaching, our beliefs, our doctrine must always be based in the Word. And it flows from that that our evangelism should be Word based. That what we take to the world to share the love of God must be grounded in the Word of God. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and, and James was preaching on this a, a few weeks ago. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand, by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. Hallelujah, anyone? Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. According to the scriptures. What we preach is the gospel message of Christ crucified, Christ resurrected. And this is what the church did. Right from the beginning, day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus Is the Messiah. Jesus is the good news. And that's what we preach. Christ crucified. There on the cross, taking away our sins because nothing we could do would achieve that. Christ risen. Victor over sin and death. Christ ascended. And at the Father's right hand. So our evangelism is word-based. But so should our whole family life. As a church, our relationships should be determined by God's teaching in his word. First of all, that begins with our identity. Jesus knew who he was because he was grounded in scripture and had the literal words of God. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And he took the, the Old Testament titles For the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. And we too should find our identity in Christ as revealed in Scripture. Yes, we are sinners of ourselves. We can do nothing. We are hopeless, we are helpless. But that's where Satan wants to leave us. Thinking we're useless, we're rubbish, we don't deserve anything. Which is all true. But in Christ... In Christ, we have so much more to our identity. Because to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As James was sharing last week, we are part of his family, adopted into his family. And not just children, but sons, which in the cultural context gives great status and makes us heirs, co-heirs with Jesus. More, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God loves us so much that it gives him pleasure to have us in his family. Now I think most families, most people, there's somebody in the family that they just struggle to get on with. We're human. We've all got families. Somebody once said, God allows us to choose our friends because we have no choice in our families. But God takes pleasure in all of us being part of his family because he loves us so much. That's part of our identity. And in Corinthians, Paul writes, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And he unpacks that, as we saw uh, a few months ago. Every one of us has a part to play. We have a value in the family. We have a role to play. We have a task to do, because we're equipped, and we are part of God's body. We are a chosen people. Chosen. Chosen. You all remember those horrible days at school when they're picking teams and if you're not sporty, you're the last one and you're acutely aware of it. But we have all been chosen. We're a royal priesthood. Not just any old priesthood, a royal priesthood. And like the priests of old, it means we don't have to go through anyone else to come to the Father. We have access to him. We are a holy nation. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You could preach a series through going through the whole year on who we are in Christ. Chosen. Redeemed. Loved. Washed. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Equipped. Our identity is in Christ, as revealed in his word. And our relationships with one another should also reflect Christ's character. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. One of those more difficult verses. Love one another as Christ has loved us there in the word, it's a command you can't dilute it, wash it down, well I love the people in my house group but not the rest or I love the people who are nice to me but not the rest, love one another as Christ has loved you abundantly, lavishly, sacrificially be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you It's another one that's much easier to say than to do sometimes. When a thoughtless word or an unkind deed has really hurt us, it's sometimes very hard to forgive. But that is what we're told to do. So our relationships should be governed by a spirit of forgiveness, keeping short accounts, not bearing a grudge, because that's the value we hold as a family. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Selflessness. Again, it goes contrary to human nature, to put other people first. But that should be our family value, because that's what's in the word of God. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Part of our value is unity. Standing together. Having each other's back. Not allowing the devil to come in with division, divisiveness, disputes, arguments over petty things. We will disagree over some things, It's inevitable but on the central things we stand together we are one family and we love each other just some of the things that should govern our family relationships and our prayer life should be word based scripture teaches us how to pray the passage known as the Lord's prayer but it's the Lord's teaching on prayer One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. It's prayers of praise, recognition of who God is. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. intercession, supplication, asking for what we need and for the power to forgive. There are patterns in how to pray, and we can look at other examples: Nehemiah's prayer, for example, interceding for God. There are patterns of prayer. Um, within our house group uh, on a Wednesday afternoon, we're going through Pete Gregg's book, "How to Pray." And that's really good way well, of unpacking this prayer and how we can apply it to our prayer lives. Biblical principles of pausing before God to recognise who he is. Uh, rejoicing in all he has done. Asking, bringing those prayers of intercession and supplication. And then yielding to him. In in other versions, thy will be done. And interesting, the, the Lord's Prayer is rooted in the old testament i don't have to go time to go into this in detail but i came across this interesting quote when at jerusalem this is dr wolf bible i read this prayer to one of the rabbis he said there is not one single prayer not one single demand which is not already contained in the old testament and there are studies you can find on the internet which list Literally, dozens of verses in the Old Testament which underpin the Lord's Prayer. Christ's prayer life is rooted in the Word of God. And Scripture reminds us of those things we don't always want to pray for. We pray for the things we want, we need, the people we care about, but how often do we ask for wisdom in our prayers? How often When we're facing a big decision, do we fret about it? Do we get a piece of paper, where all the pros, the cons, the ifs, the maybes? Or do we go straight to God and say, Lord, I need wisdom? Pray for wisdom. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. confession is an important part of prayer but so too are prayers for healing and certainly as a family we're becoming acutely aware that that should always be the first thing you do if somebody comes up to you and you you ask them how they are and they say I've had a really bad way I've got this headache migraine all week it's terrible do we say I'm really sorry to hear that I hope it gets better or is our first reaction Brother, sister, let me pray for you. That should be our first line, not our last resort. And then we've, we've looked at this again recently. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quietful lives quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Politicians. Don't you just love them? And it's very easy to criticise them. Very easy. It's very easy to mock and I confess I'm as guilty as anyone else of being critical of our political leaders. But we are commanded to pray for them. Pray that they will come to know Jesus as Saviour. Pray that they will make wise decisions that are in line with scripture. Ask yourself honestly, how often do you do that? And how much does that time you spend praying compare with the time you spend criticising? It's quite sobering and quite challenging. But scripture also reminds us to pray for even more difficult things. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we get very upset with humanist, secular people that criticise the church, mock the church, make life difficult. But we do not live in anything like the persecution that faced the early church or that faces uh, brothers and sisters in atheistic or Islamic countries where literally they can die for their faith but we are still called to pray for those who hate us who persecute us who want to wipe us out we should pray for anyone who is our enemy and that's a reminder because it's in God's word and the one I really like there is power in praying the promises of God again there's a whole series preaching material in this We say, thy will be done. How do we know what God's will? Much of it is revealed in Scripture. So if we're praying Scripture, we're praying God's will. Paul writes to the Corinthians, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to by us, to the glory of God. When we are praying Scripture, we are saying amen to what God's already said. And I've just got some, some lovely quotes that really encouraged me. Uh, this is Spurgeon. It is grand praying when our mouth is full of God's word, for there is no word that can prevail with him like his own. Great. A real encouragement to pray God's word. Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist preacher of Time's gone by. That which God does abundantly make the subject of his promises, God's people should abundantly make the subjects of their prayers. It's the same philosophy. If God has said it, God wants it to be, so we should pray it. And Mike Betts, in a really good book I can recommend, The Prayers of Many, he says this is not only biblical, but it protects us from fanciful or spurious emphasis in prayer. It's very easy to get caught up in our own agendas, our own ideas, our own desires when we're praying. When we're praying scripture, we're praying in line with God. So our prayer lives should be rooted in the Word of God. I think I've gone too far. Yeah, word based church. Everything we do as family should be rooted in in the Word, our practices, what we do together on a Sunday and in the week. And I just want to pick out three areas. First of all, the Word of God is a foundation for worship. God is spirit and his worship was, must worship in the spirit and in truth. Apologies for the typo. We take, make much about being able to worship in the spirit, having freedom in the spirit, And that is right and proper because that's what we are enjoined to do. But it's also that we worship in truth. And John reminded us last week of the importance of making sure what we sing is in line with scripture. Uh, Some songs are very much about me, me, me. Some are very much about the awfulness of the world. What we want to be declaring are the awesome glories of our risen Saviour. Paul writes to the Colossians, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach it and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And if we sing songs that are grounded in the Word, they can really build us up. Uh, Joy and I are finding that particularly as, as most of you know our family is going through a tough time at the moment singing songs that are rooted in scripture build us up raising a hallelujah to an awesome God I will trust, I will trust I will trust in you I am trusting thee for power thine can never fail we sing hymns songs, psalms That declare the truths of God and they will build us up and are our foundation for worship. And the word reminds us that when we come together, each of us has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Again, we were looking at that in our series on Corinthians not so long ago. Worship is not a spectator sport. You're not here to come and watch the band, hear a gig. You're here to bring your love and devotion, your worship to God. Everyone has a part to play. And that overflows into the breaking of bread at the heart of our worship. And there are instructions about how we should approach the communion table well-known verse is from Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We do it to express our family but we do it in remembrance of him and what he did for us. And Paul goes on in that passage to warn about taking it lightly, irreverently coming to the communion table where you're carrying a grudge against the brother. The word is a foundation for our worship. But it's also a plumb line for prophecy. As a church we pay great uh, attention to the importance and the value of prophecy today, but we are reminded that two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. We don't just take it at face value, we check it. And the plumb line against which we check it are the truths of scripture. Because John warns, dear friends do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world claiming to speak in the name of the Lord when they don't. Uh, I think I may have used this illustration uh, once before. But many years ago, when I was a young person, a youth leader left his wife to go off with another young lady. And he claimed God had told him to. Absolutely not. We know that because what he was claiming was absolutely contrary to scripture. We test what people claim is prophecy. Because it will always build up the church, glorify Jesus and be consistent with his word. And the word is a guide for our giving. Just to uh, pick another area of church life by way of example. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. It's a basic principle enshrined in God's word. And remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's the principle of divine economics set out in God's word that if you are generous to to others, God will be generous to you. Now, I would stress I'm not here preaching prosperity gospel, the formula that if you pay a £100 into somebody's ministry, you'll get a £1,000 back. No, God will bless and bless and you will never out-bless God. So if you are generous in your giving, whether it's of money, of time, of love. God will bless you. And it might be in blessing you with a particular ministry. Blessing you with more opportunities. Blessing you with friends coming round to encourage you and build you up. And it may be financial. Many, many stories of when people have given out of their lack only to have somebody bless them financially as well. God is a God who loves to bless people who love to bless. So we should be generous in our giving. All this is wrapped up in scripture and points how to, to us, how we should live out the value as a church. So, living the value, this is where it gets personal. As a family, are made up of individuals, but this bit applies to us in our word-based living. If we build our lives on the word of God, we will be equipped for life. As he said in Timothy, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. God wants us to be a holy people. He wants us to be conformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And we do that by reading his word. As it says in the Psalms, your word is a lamp for my light, for my feet, a light for my path. Um, And elsewhere it says, it's instruction to young people to go in the right way is is to read the word. It will equip us for holiness. Ah, there it is. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? And not just young people, middle-aged people, old people, everybody can stay pure by living according to God's word. In an age where there are so many voices saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Or if it feels good, do it. Live according to God's word and you're equipped for holiness. Paul writes to the Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? by bringing it in line with God's word, God's purpose, God's will. So the word is all we need for life, for holiness, and for facing temptation. Anybody never face temptation? No. It's a daily reality, whether it's a temptation to be lazy, to say something unkind, All sorts of temptations, we all face them. And there's nothing wrong in that. Jesus faced temptation. But it's such a a wonderful illustration of how to deal with temptation. The tempter came to Jesus and said, If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written. Deal with temptation, quote scripture. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up your hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Devil gets clever here. Okay, I can quote scripture too, out of context. So again, this is why we need to know the whole of Scripture so that we're not caught out by things like that. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So, Satan's come along saying, oh, it says in the Bible, plumb line. Is this testing God? Yes, it is. Therefore, you've got that wrong, Satan. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The word of God is our protection against temptation. And Satan left him. In the Word of God, we are equipped to face temptation. So, Christ's search, Christ's values, word-based. It's word-based doctrine, word-based evangelism, word-based relationships, word-based prayer, word-based church, word-based living. It's great stuff. How do we do it? How do we live the value? The word of God is more precious than gold or silver. And we should take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what does that mean in practice? Just a few quick pointers to take away so we can live the value. Read it prayerfully every day. You have food every day. You breathe every day. These are essential to keep you alive. Spiritually, spiritual life is dependent on the word. Read it prayerfully every day. Not just a quick verse and some notes, but really seeking to hear God. Learn and meditate on it. It's not easy always to learn scripture, but it is so good when you can, because it's always there in your spiritual pantry for when there's a time of famine. Um, as a teenager, I went to an organisation called Christian Endeavour and every year they would have scripture exams where we'd have to learn passages of scripture. And Now, I confess um, my friends and I were not always had the purest of motives because as one or two of you might be aware, I'm a slightly competitive person. And there was a shield awarded to the society that did best in the scripture exams. So we took these really seriously. But for whatever the reason, we learned lots of scripture. And 45 years on, I am so grateful that we did. And the more you you look at it, the more you meditate it, the more the word becomes part of you. And it's there to draw on when you need it. Understand it with the Holy Spirit's help. Ask God to reveal to you what he wants you to take from that. And you can read the same passage six, seven times and get something different each time if you allow the Spirit to minister to you. Reading the word should be a joy not a chore. And if you allow the spirit to reveal it to you as, as Jesus promised he would, he would make all things known to you. We will get the most benefit. Read it, learn it, understand it, believe it. Believe it. It's the word of God. You can trust it. And most of all obey it it's fantastic the word of God it is so simple that a child can grasp the essence of it Jesus loves me this I know for the bible tells me so And yet it's so rich, so deep, so profound that the wisest, most intelligent theologian will never be able to claim I understand it all fully and comprehensively. There's always more gold to be mined. Um, What was that old chorus we used to sing? The best book to read is the Bible. The best book to read is the Bible read it every day it will help you on your way the best book to read is the Bible let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for your word Lord we thank you that your word was treasured taught, expounded by your Son uh, because The word was precious to Jesus, it is precious to us. And so, Father, we pray that you will help us to live out the value of being a word-based church. Lord, help us to take time to invest in your word, to test everything against your word, to preach your word at every opportunity, and to declare the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. All back.